want to ask some questions about the Bible before we look to the Bible to hear from God today. I want to ask some questions. Let me, what if we didn't have the Bible? Think about that for a minute. How, how would it change your life personally and then how might it impact our lives corporately if we just didn't have the Bible? There are some other questions that we need to consider. What is the Bible? What is the purpose of the Bible? Why do, why do we have the Bible? How did we get the Bible? Where did this come from? The, you know, who wrote this book? There's all kinds of interesting questions that we can ask ourselves regarding the existence of the Bible. But I want to take a minute and point to the reality that there are large percentages of our population today in this world that don't have access to the Bible. There are literally people groups all over the world that, that don't even know the Bible exists, let alone do they have it translated into their language. Well, I don't think that's a good thing. I think that's something that we need to do something about. And so we are praying about partnering with some strategic missionary partners who are aiming at that very particular need around the world, who are helping translate the Bible into languages that it's not currently into, who are going into people groups who don't have a witness to the gospel or the scriptures translated into their language, and who are making it their life's mission to change those things. And so we'll be talking more about that. In fact, in two weeks, we have a young missionary couple, an aspiring missionary couple, who is preparing to head to Indonesia uh, in 2020, Lord willing, to do that very thing, to identify a people group that has no gospel witness. They don't know who Jesus is or what he has done for them. They do not have the Bible. It has not ever been translated into their language. And they're going to go there with that purpose in mind, to declare the gospel to establish a church and to translate the Bible into their language. I think that's an incredible endeavor to take on in life. And so I can't wait to introduce you to this couple. I think you'll like them a lot and get very excited about the opportunity that we have to partner with them. But let's come back to us. What if we didn't have the Bible? What would that mean for us? What if you didn't have the Bible? What if the only, the only access you had to the Bible was here on Sunday mornings? Would that change anything for you? In other words, I'm kind of in a pastoral way getting around to asking, are you even accessing the Bible outside of Sunday mornings? Not to bring condemnation, but to just think about what, what it is that we're doing in relation to the scriptures that God has given us. And so those are important questions to ask. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 3 together. We're going to answer a couple of those questions this morning about what the Bible is, how we receive the Bible, why we should be glad that we have the Bible, and then ultimately what should we do with it. So let's look at Ephesians 3 together. I'm going to read verses 1 through 13. For this reason I, Paul... The prisoner of Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, you have heard, haven't you, about the administration of God's grace that he gave to me for you. The mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have briefly written above. By reading this, you are able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. This was not made known to people in other generations, as it is now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. The Gentiles are co-heirs, members of the same body, and partners in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I was made a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace that was given to me by the working of his power. This grace was given to me, the least of all the saints, 
to proclaim to the Gentiles the incalculable riches of Christ and to shed light for all about the administration of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. This is so that God's multifaceted wisdom may now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavens. This is according to his eternal purpose accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. So then I ask you not to be discouraged over my afflictions on your behalf, for they are your glory. I want to make three simple points uh, from this passage today. If you have a handout and you plan on following along, the first one is this. The Bible is revelation from God. The first thing that I want to point out from Ephesians chapter 3 here is that the Bible is revelation from God. That this is the way that God speaks to us. That God has made himself known. He has made his plan of salvation known. He He has revealed himself to us through the Bible. That is absolutely incredible. God is a unique being to say the least. But one of the things that we know to be true about God is we don't interact with him the same way that we interact in human relationships. And so how is God going to reveal himself to us? It's, in in a sense, it's easy for us to reveal ourselves to one another because here we are face to face. We can converse and we we can have conversations that lead to knowledge about each other and we can build a relationship in, in, in the ways that we're accustomed to. But when it comes to God, we don't get that. So how is it that God reveals himself? How is it that he makes himself known? Well, the chief means that God uses to reveal himself to us is, in fact, the Bible. I remember, I think it's been about 13 years now since my grandfather passed away. And I remember a a little while after he had passed away, we had come across this picture frame that he had given to my grandmother, who was still alive at the time, uh, he had given to her as an anniversary gift. And in it, it had a picture. It, was, it, it kind of opened like this. And in it, it had a picture of him and it had a picture of her. But what was unique about this picture frame was that it had a little button where you could record a personal message. And then the person you give that to could play that back over and over and over again. And I remember how awesome it was after we could no longer hear my grandfather's voice coming from his own mouth. To hear his voice. And I don't remember exactly what the message was. It was something very simple. My grandfather went by Pood. Um, his name was Fred. I'm actually Fred the Third, And so he's, my, uh, he's the one I'm named after. Uh, I never knew why he went by Pood. Until I saw his high school uh, picture. In his senior picture, he has this hairdo that looks a lot like a poodle. <laughs> and, I, and I came across that picture not too long ago as I was continuing to learn more about my grandfather. But he always went by Pood, and I, I think the message of that card was something very simple, like, Hi, Jan, it's Pood. I love you. Happy anniversary. We wore that little picture frame out. And it was so awesome to hear his voice. The man who meant so much to so many of us in my family to be able to go back and to hear from him. And what's interesting over the past several years as I've lived my life without my grandfather's presence here on earth is that I have continued to learn more about him. 
I've continued to even to get to know him better than I did when he was here on earth. Because as I've heard stories, as I've come across things that, that, our, that our family has, that I've learned more about him. Like I said, I saw that picture of him in, in high school and I was thinking, man, that's my grandfather. The, the one that I only knew as an older man once was a young man who lived a life as a young man. One of, after my grandmother passed away, one of the coolest things that I found as we were going through their stuff, and they had a lot of stuff. My grand, you know, the Great Depression era folks, and so they didn't get rid of a lot. They kept things that they really didn't need, and, and we were going through a lot of stuff and just threw most of it away. But one of the things that I pulled out and have kept to this day was well, I found five bottles of whiskey. Now I have your attention, right? I found five bottles of whiskey. But what was unique about these bottles of whiskey is they mostly weren't uh, mostly were unopened. In fact, only two of the five were opened was that they had a date on them. They had a year on them. And the year that each of those bottles of whiskey was, was made was, coincided with the years that each of his five grandchildren were born. And I found that so interesting to picture my, my grandfather as a, as a younger man, though as a grandfather, the excitement and the desire to celebrate that his grandchildren were being born. It was, it was the first time I ever thought that maybe somebody was excited when I was born. And, and, and to hold on to that as a, just a little memento of something that, that reminds me of the person that he was. The per, even before I knew him, I've grown in my knowledge of him. And in a sense, my relationship with him has grown even though he's gone I say all of that to point out the fact that we have the ability to have a relationship with someone even when their presence is not still in our lives. How much more then do we have the ability to have a relationship with the God whose presence is in our lives, though not in the way we are normally accustomed to building relationships? And he has sent his spirit to, to, into us to reveal himself to us. And he speaks to us through his word. The Bible is the picture frame that symbolizes our relationship and lets us hear his voice. The Bible is revelation from God. He is making himself known. Paul says in verse 1 of chapter 3, For this reason... I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. And then he kind of goes off on a, a little bit of a different trail here. He chases a rabbit for a second. He says, you have heard, haven't you, about the administration of God's grace that he gave to me for you. The mystery was made known to me by revelation. Hold on to that for a second. The mystery was made known to me by revelation. As I have briefly written above, by reading this, you are able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. This was not made known to people in other generations, as it is now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Whether or not Paul was aware that he was writing scripture is not super clear. I suspect that he wasn't. What he was aware of was that God had revealed to him and to many others, which is significant. I want to talk about that in a minute. Paul is not alone in this revelation. It's always a, a dangerous thing when somebody is alone in the revelation that they claim God has given them. Because it's very difficult to argue with somebody who says, but God told me, even though it's not been confirmed. 
And so there was confirmation of this message among the early church. There were many others who had the same message. There were, there were church leaders, those who had walked with Jesus, who, and Paul did not walk with Jesus, but those who did walk with Jesus were confirming Paul's message. He says, the mystery was made known to me by, by revelation, as I've briefly written. By reading this, you were able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. This was not made known to people in other generations as it is now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So, we talked about this last week, that what happened in the first century was a significant step, step in God's self-revelation, in his revealing his plan to the nations. What happened in the first century had not been revealed to the generations before that, but now we live in a time in human history when God's plan of redemption has been made known. And it was made known first to those early Christians in the first century, one of whom was, which was Paul. God revealed to him, in sometimes in supernatural ways, other times in ways that probably are very similar to how we come to know his plan and his word. Uh, God revealed to him this message of Jesus. And he gives him this revelation to share with the church throughout all generations. And the result is that we today have the Bible. We have this collection of books. It is one book actually made up of 66 books, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New, written over a period of 1,500 years by more than 40 authors, yet it has one message, the story of God's plan to redeem humankind. It's the most incredible book to ever exist. There is nothing else on earth that even comes close to what we have in the Bible. It is, it is so varied in its ways of communicating God's nature and his plan to us, yet so unified in its message. The Bible is revelation from God. That is so significant. There are, there are many people who believe that there, perhaps there is a God, but he has not made himself known. Therefore, your guess is as good as mine. I wholly disagree with that. I believe that he has made himself known. In fact, I would argue, what kind of God would not make himself known? What would that say about his character to create human beings and to have a plan for us, but not to reveal it to us? God has revealed himself. He has made his nature and his character known to us. He has made his plan for our lives known to us. And he has done it in the Bible. This is the most important book that ever has or ever will exist. It is God's revelation of himself. So we get the New Testament. I mentioned the Old and the New Testament. The New Testament, of course, tells the story of Jesus' life and ministry on earth, his death, his burial, his resurrection, the growth of the early church, the message of the apostles, those whom, whom Jesus appointed to take his message. In fact, if you, it's, what's interesting, if you look at Jesus' teaching, there's actually a significant, there, there, there are, there's, he holds back much of what the New Testament would eventually reveal to us. And he planned on doing this from the beginning because he wanted to reveal the gospel message through the apostles that he had appointed and chosen by his wisdom and by his grace. And so he gathers these men 
And he tells them while he's still on earth with them, he says, look, there's, there's a time coming when I'm going to go away, but I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's going to reveal to you these things. And even after his resurrection, Jesus spent time on the earth. There's, there's places where the Bible tells us that he explained the scriptures to the disciples. He taught them the message that they were to carry into the whole world, which would eventually become the New Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 through 13 says, Now we, this is a, a, the Apostle Paul speaking also, Now we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who comes from God, so that we may understand what has been freely given to us by God. We also speak these things not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual things to spiritual people. It is a supernatural book. It is revealed by the Spirit to humans. And it comes to us through human beings who are empowered by the Holy Spirit. In fact, 2 Timothy 3 says that all Scripture is inspired by God. That literally means that it's breathed out by God. And is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. It's all inspired. It's all breathed out by God. That doesn't mean that it's, that it's always easy to understand. That doesn't even mean that it's always exciting to read. There are parts of the Bible that, that are just going to be very difficult to enjoy. Yet, all of Scripture is breathed out by God as He reveals Himself to us. Every word has a purpose. Every, every book, every chapter, every verse is meant to convey to us something about God that we need to know. It's an amazing book. Inspired by God. Profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training us in righteousness so that we might be complete and equipped for every good work. Scripture teaches us who God is and what he expects of us. So, I go back to my question. What if we didn't have the Bible? Think about all that we would be missing out on. Everything that, would be, that we, we, we would be uncertain about that he has revealed, that he has made known. So often we focus on the things that God has not revealed. There are questions that we want answered, things that we want to know more about. Let's take time to appreciate what he has revealed. Think about what your life would be like if we didn't have the Bible. Think about what society would be like if we didn't have the Bible. So the first thing I wanted to say was that the Bible is revelation from God. The next thing is that the Bible is good news. This is really important to understand. The Bible is good news. Back in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 6, Paul said, The Gentiles are co-heirs, members of the same body, and partners in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. The word gospel literally means good news. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. That is, that is what the Bible is meant to communicate. The Bible is good news because the Bible tells of what Jesus Christ had done. There is a lot of bad news in the Bible. Most of it about how sinful we are and about how God feels about that sin. The good news is, is that God is merciful and gracious and that he sent Jesus Christ to pay the price for our sins. The good news is found in John chapter 3 where it says in verse 14, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, by the way, 
a fantastic story that you can read about in the Old Testament. I won't tell you all about it. I would just want to whet your appetite to go find that story because you'll see from that story that there are places all throughout even the Old Testament where God is pointing to what he's going to do in Jesus. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That's the good news. That God has made a way for us to have eternal life by believing in Jesus Christ. You see, we we know that if we read through the story of scripture, the biggest problem that we have in life is that we are guilty of sin before a holy, just, and righteous God. Who promises to bring justice by punishing sin. And that may, sound, that may sound like a difficult thing. Why does, God have, why does God have to judge all sin? Why can't he just let sin, sin pass in certain cases? And the answer to that is because he would cease to be good. And who wants to live in a, in a world of existence that is run by a God that is not good? We should rejoice that God refuses to let sin go. We should rejoice that God promises to judge every little bit of sin in the universe. But we should shake in fear knowing that that means he must judge us. And so we see through a large part of the Old Testament and and even into the New Testament as Jesus comes on the scene, he's calling people to repent. We are being reminded that we are a people who are not right before God. We are guilty of sin. And the Bible says that is true of every single one of us. And because we are guilty of sin, we are under God's judgment. We are under his wrath. And we will, if we die in that sin, stand before him as the judge of the universe. And he will eternally judge our sin by sending us to hell. That's the bad news. The good news is is that God is not only just. That God is not only righteous. That God is not only infinitely holy, he is merciful, and he's gracious, and he's loving. The Bible says, not desiring that any should perish. And so what he does to solve this dilemma that he has between his justice and his righteousness and his grace and his mercy is that he sends someone to die in our place. But realizing it would not be, it's not a good enough sacrifice that another human being would die in our place, he sends his only son. The only one who, whose death could satisfy his justice. The only one who, whose death could satisfy the debt that we have before him because of our sin. And Jesus Christ, when they put him on that cross, and when he was suffering and breathing his final breaths on earth, He was paying the price for your sin. And he was paying the price for my sin. So that we could be forgiven. So that God could extend the mercy and the grace that he desires to extend to us. And then to not only to deal with our problem of sin, but to deal with our problem of death. After Jesus is in the grave on the third day, the Bible says that he rose from the grave, defeating not only sin, but also death. He deals with our two greatest enemies. Sin and death are defeated. 
with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's the greatest news that human ears could ever hear because by believing in Jesus, we can have eternal life. That's why the gospel is called good news. Because God sent his son to die in our place. And the story that he is revealing to us is recorded right here in the Bible. And so we take it and we read it and we enjoy it. I remember the first time that I read through the Bible, I, was, I came to Christ as a teenager. I was about 16 years old. I came to Christ and uh, I wanted to know him more. So I, I picked up a Bible that my mom had given me some years prior to that. And I noticed that at, at the beginning of every book, there was these little check boxes with numbers by them, symbolizing each chapter of that book. And so let's say, for example, the book of Matthew has 28 chapters. So there's 28 little boxes, and every time you read through one of those chapters, you come back and check one of those boxes. I loved that. I checked every box in that Bible because I was, I was first of all, I was just having an incredible time reading God's Word and getting to know Him. I wanted to know what was in this mysterious book. I wanted to know what God had to say about Himself and about me and about His plan for this world. And so I was reading and I was just checking off those boxes until I got through the whole thing. And I remember thinking, that is an incredible book. What a story. What a story that God has written throughout human history. It it is, it is the most incredible story. You know, they say that Princess Bride is the most incredible movie, and it is. It, 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 the Princess Bride is probably the best movie that's ever been made. I don't think anything will ever stop it. It has everything you want. It has romance. It has action. It has giants. It has princes and princes. It's, it's incredible. It's a great movie, but it does not compare to the real story that God has written in human history. He is the greatest author to exist and he's writing a story through our lives. And he's revealing himself through his word. The Bible is not only revelation from God, it is good news. So take it. Read it. Listen to it. Enjoy it. Apply it. And most of all, share it. The third thing that I want to say from this passage is that the Bible is to be shared by us. The Bible is to be shared by us. Not only shared by us, but shared by us with boldness and confidence. I want to explain what I mean by that. Let's look at what Paul says next. In Ephesians 3, back in our original passage in verse 7, he says, I was made a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace that was given to me by the working of his power. This grace was given to me, the least of all the saints, to proclaim to the Gentiles the incalculable riches of Christ. And to shed light for all about the administration of the mystery, hidden for ages in God who created all things. This is so that God's multifaceted wisdom may now be made known through the church. May now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavens. This according to his eternal purpose accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. So then I ask you not to be discouraged over my afflictions on your behalf, for they are your glory. Paul says this revelation was given to him to share it with others. 
That was why God gave it to him, so that he could proclaim it to the nations, so that now the message that originally largely was contained among the Jews would go out to all the non-Jews, which the Bible refers to as Gentiles. Gentiles just refers to all, all people outside of the Jewish nation. Outside of the Jews, the, the, the God's plan of redemption begins to go in that first century through Paul, through the other apostles, through the church. And it needs to continue to go out into the world through us today. The Bible is meant to be shared by us. And we should do so with boldness. He says in verse 12, in him we have boldness. Now boldness can be confused with obnoxiousness and arrogance. We are not to be obnoxious. Nor are we to be arrogant. But neither are we to be timid. God has called us to boldness because we have confident access through faith in Him. We have access to God through the Holy Spirit, through the blood of Jesus. We are brought near to Him. That should give us boldness. We should not be afraid to proclaim the message of the gospel in the ways that God gives us. We should not be afraid or timid about sharing the good news of what Jesus has done for us because this world needs to hear it. Paul refers to himself as the least of all the saints. Let me just remind you, the Bible uses the word saints to refer to all believers. Saints are not a particular group of believers uh, who have been given that status by the church. You're all considered saints if you're a believer in Jesus. He says he's the least of all the saints. I assume part of that is because he is constantly reminded of the fact that before Jesus revealed himself to him, he was the main persecutor of the first Christians. In fact, he oversaw the martyrdom of the first Christian martyr. That means he was responsible for the death of some of the early Christians. He was literally killing Christians. And then God revealed himself to him. Radically changed his life. I assume that's part of the reason why he thinks of himself as the least of all of the saints. He refers to himself as the least of all the saints and says that his inclusion in God's plan was a gift of God's grace. It was not something he earned. It was not something he deserved. He was not in the right place. He was given this as a gift of God's grace. That should be our attitude also. In fact, I can think of a couple of things that we need to apply from this. One is that we need to know that God can use anyone. He can absolutely use anybody that he chooses. He is, he is not a respecter of persons. He is not bound by our natural talent. He can use anyone in any time and at any place that he chooses to. There's, if, if you're in the right streams of social media right now, you've probably seen there's a lot of noise right now about Kanye West. Kanye West is professing to have had his life changed by Christ. And that has created a... A storm of opinions. <laughs> there are people that are skeptical. There are people that think Jesus has returned. And then there's, every, there's all kinds of opinions in between. I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I even need to have an opinion. But I know one thing for sure is that God can use absolutely anybody. And right now he's using Kanye West to get his gospel out there. And he's doing it boldly. 
we should take note. And we should be as unashamed as he is. God can use anyone. He can use Paul. He can use Kanye West. He can certainly use you. In fact, I think that God delights to use people that are unexpected in his kingdom. One of the things as we went through uh, the, the past few months of transitioning, moving our family here to Lower Borough, um, it was, for, for me, just an incredibly stressful time. Incredibly stressful. There was just so many simple things that turned into obstacles. There was just things that I just assumed would be easy that probably in any other season of life would have been easy that became huge obstacles to overcome. It was, there, were, there were stretches of time where every day I woke up and was like, this is rough. This is a struggle. It easily was the most stressful time in my life. And I got to tell you, I'm not thrilled about how I handled that. I'm not proud of the way I responded to that at times. And there were so many days when I was just wondering, like, God, why, why is it going to be this hard? Why is it like this? What are you trying to teach me? And I'll tell you one thing he's definitely taught me. As I look back on that, on the other side of that, I look back and I go, you know what? Whatever God does through Redemption Church, it will be in spite of me, not because of me. And that's the absolute truth. And then out of that... But I, I started to realize, but, like, but, but he, he seems to delight to use people that he doesn't have any business using. He seems to take joy in taking the unexpected, to taking those that the world would maybe write off or the world would think, well, God's not going to do anything with them. He takes delight in using them to build his kingdom and to grow his church. And so that gives me hope. I'm like, well, God, if that's something that makes you happy, I'm available. You know, like here I am. You might as well use me if you're going to use somebody. And so we need to remember that God can use anybody. In fact, he delights to use those that the world might not expect. Remember that. Another thing is that we need to know is that God can use you in any situation. Do you know Paul wrote this letter from prison? How many of you, if you found out today you were going to spend the next six months in prison, would think, well, that's probably going to be a fairly productive six months? <laughs> You're probably thinking, no, I got stuff I got to do, I've got plans, I've got. I've got responsibilities. I've got things that, that don't involve me being in prison, for one thing, that I need to get done. Paul, I'm sure there were days and nights where Paul's sitting in prison going, we got churches to plant. There are people that need to hear the gospel. God, what are you doing? Writing the Bible. Building his church. Growing his kingdom. That's what he was doing. And he can do that in any situation. He can work through anything that you've, any situation you find yourself in or anything that you find yourself going through. Sometimes it's actually our trials that become a megaphone for God's voice and his word to be made known. Sometimes it's because we go through difficult things that he actually is able to amplify what he wants to say to the people around us. We see this again and again throughout the church Sometimes when God's people suffer, he does his greatest work. We just, uh, the, the nonprofit that Kim and I are a part of, we just collected uh, about 100 wheelchairs and walkers that are going to be refurbished 
through, uh, prison, through, through a, a program that involves prison inmates, and they're going to be taken to developing countries where they don't have access to durable medical equipment and be given to people whose lives will absolutely be changed by receiving such equipment. And not only will they receive a wheelchair or a walker, but they'll hear the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ who loves them and died for them. That is happening because 50 years ago, a 17-year-old girl named Johnny Erickson dove into um, a shallow pool of, of a lake, broke her neck, and has been a quadriplegic for the last 50 years. And after her time of grief and mourning and of struggling to accept why God allowed that to happen, he began a ministry through her called Johnny and Friends that has existed for, I think, around 40 years now. And one of the things that they do is a program called Wheels for the World, where they take unneeded uh, wheelchairs and walkers, refurbish them through uh, a system that involves prison inmates, takes them to developing countries, gives them to people whose lives are going to be radically changed by that, and presents to them the gospel of Jesus Christ. None of which would be happening if that accident did not happen to her. That's amazing. What's even more amazing to me and even more personal to me is, is that about 10 years ago when, I, when we received the news that our youngest daughter had suffered a debilitating um, brain injury that would affect her for the rest of her life and as I was struggling as a young pastor in my 20s to understand what God's purpose in that would be for me and for her and was in an emotional state that was not desirable by any means, I was introduced to a man who had been living with cerebral palsy all his life. Some friends of ours said, you need to meet this man from an organization called Johnny and Friends. And I went and I sat down with this guy and he was the first person since my, since my daughter's birth to be a living witness to me that God does some of his greatest work through some of our greatest trials. And I looked at this man who at that time was in his 50s, a man named Jerry uh, Borton, and who was living his whole life with cerebral palsy, and he was living a meaningful, joyful life of obeying Christ. And for the first time in about 18 months, God started to show me it's going to be okay, that this isn't the end of the world that he might even have great things in store for what we're going through. God can work through anyone, and he can work through any situation. As Paul sat in prison, wondering what his purpose was now, he penned this letter that you and I read today that helps us know who God is, what he's like, and what his plan for our lives is. The Bible is revelation from God. The Bible is good news. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. And perhaps most importantly for us to hear today, the Bible needs to be shared. It needs to be shared. And God can use anyone in any situation to do that, so why not let him use you? What are you going to do to share the Bible? To do it with boldness. Again, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a... I heard a guy one time... 
uh, you know, there's this debate among churches of being seeker sensitive and, you know, uh, trying to appeal to lost people in different ways. And, and, I, and I heard this pastor talk, uh, uh, tell this story where he was talking to another pastor and he, and he was telling him about how his church is seeker sensitive and how they're trying to reach the lost. And, and, um, and he said, so is, what's your church like? And, and the pastor was recounting this story. He said he, he picked up a Bible and he hit the guy on the head with it. And he said, we're kind of like that. <laughs> and, and that just always stuck with me. And, and somehow I want to be, I, I, I want to be sensitive to where people are at, but be very bold in, in getting the Bible across. And I think it requires wisdom to know how and when and what ways to share the Bible. But we can all do this. We can all be used by God in different ways through the gifts that he's given us to share his word. One of the easiest things to do is just to invite people to church. It's one of the easiest ways. I, I promise you, as long as I'm up here, we will share the Bible every Sunday. That is our commitment. We, one of our four core values is that we are Bible-centered. We believe that this is how God speaks then we believe that this is our authority, our rule for life in the church, our rule uh, for how we will live as Christians. We are Bible-centered. We're going to sing songs that declare the message of the Bible. We're going to preach sermons that talk about the Bible. And one of the easiest ways to share the Bible is just to invite somebody. And as I was listening to the worship team sing this, this morning and lead us in worship and just in awe of the talent that, that God has, has given us here, I was like, I don't know why everybody's not here. This is like this. There should everybody should be here. I don't know if you feel that way on Sunday mornings. So why don't we invite them? Why don't we go out and tell them, "Hey, come check out this new church. I think you'll like it." And if if you don't like it, it's just one Sunday morning, no big deal. You don't have to. You don't have to keep coming. But let's share the word of God. Let's invite people. Let's let's get into the word of God so that when people are going through things, we can share Scripture with them in a way that will encourage them. Let's use the tools that God has given us, things like social media, to share the word of God in different ways, to be creative in how we get the word out. Of all the evils that the internet has, has let's say, facilitated in the world, one of the greatest things that's happening is the disbursement of God's word is at levels like nothing we have ever seen. People have access to the scriptures that just... A hundred years ago would not have had access to the scriptures. Let's leverage that technology. Let's use the means that God has given us to share the word of God. I've said it many times since we started here. There are 150,000 people within 20 minutes of where you're sitting right now. Most of whom do not have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. What are we going to do about it? What are we going to do to help them know God's plan of redemption? Our mission is to declare and demonstrate God's plan of redemption in Jesus Christ. We want to declare it by speaking it as plainly and as clearly as we possibly can. We also want to demonstrate it by pe being people who live out what we say we believe. It was really cool la um, last night to have the chance. And in, in my small group, one of the things we decided we were going to do was do a little trick-or-treat outreach. And so we went to one of our family's homes, and it was super simple. We had a little invite card to Redemption Church that would point them to some information if they wanted to know more. And we just stapled it to a bag of delicious candy. 
And then we just passed those out to everybody that came around. It was awesome to see the church just be so loving and caring about the community in such a simple way. You don't have to be a preacher. And you don't have to get a bullhorn and stand on a street corner. You can if you want to. I won't stop you, but you don't have to do those things. We can share God's word in a lot of different ways. So I want to invite you to join us. I want to invite you to get, get involved. Get plugged into a small group. Every quarter, uh, we, our small groups meet three out of four quarters each year. Every quarter, every small group is going to plan an outreach like that and go do it. If you want to share the word of God in this community, if you want to find ways to declare and demonstrate God's plan of redemption to the people around you, small groups are a great place to start. But you don't have to limit what you're doing to reach this community to small groups. You can go to work this week and look for ways to share the pl God's plan of redemption with the people around you. You can gather with your family this week and look for ways to share. You can come up with, with a seemingly infinite number of ways of doing this. So let's do it. Let's take the Bible. What if we didn't have the Bible? I don't know, but we do. And let's not keep it to ourselves. Let's take it to the world around us. Worship team, come up and get us ready to worship again. I want to invite you as, as we transition back to worship to make a commitment to yourself to be in the Word this week. Whatever that looks like for you. I, I love listening to the Bible on audio. Uh, for me, it's one of the best ways for me to make sure I'm taking in the Word of God each week. Um, maybe you like to, to sit down and read. Maybe you want to read with somebody in your family. I want to encourage you to come up with a plan before you leave today of how you're going to get into the Word and then secondly, how are you going to share the word this week? What are you going to do? Is it going to be inviting somebody to church? Is it going to be sharing a scripture that you heard today or, or read this week with somebody? Is it going to be planning a way to get involved and reach out to the community around you? Those all count in my opinion. They all count. They're all leading to the, facilitating the spread of the gospel so that those 150,000 people right here around us within access to us right now can hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, as we think about what it means to have your word, as we think about what it means to have the revelation that you have supplied, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and as we think about the need of the people around us to hear your truth, to know that you love them so much that you sent Jesus Christ to die on their behalf. Fathers, we contemplate those things this morning. Give us steps of action to take. Help us to get into the word this week personally and help us to find ways to share it with those around us. And if that means something as simple as inviting somebody to church or if it means something just as outright bold as sharing a passage of scripture with somebody that we think needs to hear it I pray that you would guide us that you would give us confidence in who you are and give us confidence in your word in Jesus name we pray Amen <laughs>